Well, firstly, welcome if you're here for the first time. It's lovely to see new faces. And um, my name's Nathan, if you didn't know. Um, and I, with a team, lead this beautiful church. And um, I'm here going to talk to you, uh, our second in a series. I'm just going to adjust this because that what the noise would be. Second series in Disciples Making Disciples. Keith uh, started this series last week. And I, I think actually this series comes on the back. Apologies if you've not been with us for many uh, days or weeks or months. But uh, it comes on the back of a whole load of different series, sermon series that we've been doing, which I think actually complement and build a ground for what we're doing now. So you may remember some of them. We did one on passing the baton. We looked at Timothy about uh, Paul passing on the baton to his disciple or pupil, Timothy. We looked at imperfect people in the hands of a perfect God. Again, I think this is linked with discipleship. And then more recently, we looked at what it looks like uh, to live a life full of the Spirit. Again, this is really integral to what we are as disciples. So... um, how do we fulfill this great commission that we read about in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations? It seems like a daunting task, doesn't it? And um, I think, first of all, we might need to just consider what our beliefs are currently about how we're to achieve this, uh, this mission that we've been given. Because there may be some unhelpful things that we need to have a look at. Because the way we believe, what our beliefs actually work out in how we behave and how, what we practice. So it's really important to understand what we believe. So I think one of the things that we believe, not wrongly, but just it might be slightly misdirected, is that our main purpose as church is by whatever means, through attractional services, through... Uh, amazing, compassionate works of social justice through um, any means. Revive coffee shop. Attract people to the church. We might get them on a course, an alpha course, that they might make a commitment of faith. We think this is our... Almost conversion is the goal. We get people saved to say the prayer of faith and then they're in the kingdom and we can relax and then we can look for someone else. But I actually feel this is slightly unhelpful because the Great Commission, our main goal is to make disciples. And so we need a different focus. The goal isn't that they say the prayer of faith and then they're in the fold and we can relax. The prayer is that we're making a disciple and a disciple is a learner, a pupil, who in turn makes another disciple, who in turn makes another disciple. And you may remember... um, Sorry again. A few years ago at Catalyst Festival, when we were encouraged and, well, kind of challenged with, really, that we're not going to reach the nations, reach every pocket of the world through just addition to churches, through ones and twos coming. And we need to have a different mentality. It needs to be through multiplication. And um, there's a chart, actually, which we could go on to the next chart. There's a chart, I believe, Steve. And um, this just helpfully shows um, how this might work. Because if you had an amazing church which somehow managed to get 10,000 converts in a year, I mean, I I don't know of any church in the world which does this, 10,000, 
converts in a year and you grew and you maybe had then two services and or maybe two buildings and you had 20,000 in year two. Um, you look at the chart, if this carries on year by year, we're not actually making a massive impact. And this, the only way we are going to reach the nations is if individuals take the responsibility to make disciples for themselves. That they, they task themselves with making one disciple a year. And in turn, that person makes a disciple of someone else in that year. And the, the original person makes a disciple again. And you can see how it grows. And in how many years? 33 years, you've reached the population of the world. So it's quite extraordinary. But it actually only takes a simple step. So this is what we're going to kind of look at, how this looks. Uh, because it's not that easy just to go and make disciples, is it? So I thought one way we could look at it is, what did, how did Jesus call his first disciples? And we could kind of assess how we started our journey. And maybe there's some things there which might help us in how we mean to go on. I think how you start is really pertinent about how you continue. I think we can think about how... Um, Last week, Keith was talking about mountaineers, how they start off with what, if they're prepared, you know, they, they're going to do well. If they are confident in their guide, they're going to do well. If they know what they're going to have to sacrifice, what pain they're going to go through, they're going to be okay and they're going to make it to the top. And I think discipleship is similar. We're, like last week, we're all mountaineers. So together we're going to be mountaineering this discipleship course. I don't know the terrain, but I do know someone who does, who's a very good guide. Okay, so this is where we're going to go. Um, so let's read our passage from Matthew 4, uh, verse 18 to 22. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to get it out. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you've got it on your phone, why don't you get it on your phone? If you've got a phone and you don't have a Bible on it, why don't you just use this few moments to download an app on your smartphone and use the free Wi-Fi of River Life so you can have the Bible in your hands right now? Because I think it's actually quite good for you to have it in your hands and not just believe that what I put on the screen is in God's Word. I could have made that up. You need to see for yourself that this is the word of God to us, okay? So let's read from Matthew. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing the nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So these are the, some of the first disciples that Jesus called. And this was... This was at a time when Jesus had just come off the back of being in the desert for 40 years. He, he was fully aware of the enemy, Satan's schemes to uh, kind of tempt and draw away uh, his people. 
he was he was kind of looking at, he, he was aware that in a few years time he was going to be on the cross and leaving this earth and so he needed to gather some people some really carefully select the right people to carry on his mission when he's gone so it's interesting surprising but really reassuring that he chooses just some very ordinary people he chooses some fishermen that are fishing in a lake ordinary people just like you and me he doesn't go for the influential leaders the rabbis the teachers of the law but four fishermen I think you need to hear and receive this he chooses anyone he chooses ordinary people like you and me for his mission this is the first thing ordinary people I like the way the good news translation uh, entitles this passage it doesn't say the first disciples. It says, um, let me see if it says, uh, Jesus calls for fishermen. I prefer that because actually he doesn't call disciples. He's calling for fishermen. He's calling for fishermen. They're not already ready disciples, perfect for picking, or they look like perfect disciples. They can really help my mission. No, he picks ordinary fishermen like you and me. So Jesus calls for fishermen. Um, later we read in Acts about uh, from the, this is the New Living Translation it says this of some of the disciples the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures they also recognised them as men who had been with Jesus anyone can be a disciple maker you do not need to have formal seminary training to be a disciple maker I believe actually God is seen to always honour faith and obedience above knowledge. If you're a believer, you are qualified to be a disciple maker. The truth is we only need to be a few steps in front of the person that we're leading. Is that right? We only need to be a few steps in front of the person we're leading. We only need to have grasped a few truths, a little nugget of truth, beauty of the gospel that we can share and impart and give to someone else. So I think that's all of us. Your story of what God has said and how you have obeyed him is powerful. Let's keep repeating the few truths that we do know and not worry about the stuff we don't know. Let's just keep repeating what we do know. What's our experiences? What's our, what freedom, guidance, goodness, blessing have we known through Christ that we can share with someone else who may not know? Harry Brown um, says, uh, it's a guy that's part of a big uh, discipleship-making movement, said this, the only way we're going to complete the Great Commission is when ordinary people are multiplying disciples in their natural networks. Several billion lost people that are unreached at the moment are not going to be reached by the big stage. 
they're going to be reached by individuals sharing their faith. Ordinary people in their ordinary, normal spheres of influence sharing their faith, bringing life. The need is for everyone to uh, be, be obedient to the call to make disciples. The truth is, you don't need to wait. You can start now with what you know. Each of us can start now with what you know. We've got some discipleship training makers course coming up. You don't need to wait till we've done that. You can start now with what you know. And you can start uh, wherever you are and with whatever you know. So the second bit, so that's the first bit, ordinary people. So the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples is come. Come. He calls across the lake, come. Have you heard the voice of God calling you, inviting you to come? Is this how you started? Can you remember the moment that Jesus called you and said, come? It's really important that we have learnt to discern the voice of God. Because there's lots of voices out there. Lots of voices that will be uh, kind of putting pressure on you to say, come this way, come that way. The girl's going to university. There's going to be lots of voices coming. Come, come this way, come this way. Through the noise of every voice. You know, there's going to be voices of our own wills. There's going to be voices from popular culture. that This is okay, everyone does it. There's going to be voices from the enemy coming. Come, come this way, tempting away. Through it all, we need to hear the voice of Jesus. Come, come. It's not just about knowing that you've been called, but it's by whom and by what authority. Now, um, Keith, who's not with us today, one of the elders on the team, he received a letter, which we can have up, from Her Late Majesty the Queen to come to Buckingham Palace. Now, he would certainly wanted to check this out, check that it wasn't a prank from one of his children, Look for a coat of arms or a stamp which just assured him that this was from the Queen. This was an invite from the Queen. But when he knew that he had been invited by Her Majesty, surely he would have rearranged his diary and he would have promptly responded. Have you heard of the invite from the King to come? Have you got your invite? I tell you, you have. It's here in these verses. Come, follow me. This is your royal invitation to come to the king. Remember, it's really important to remember, go back to your original time when you heard Jesus calling you to come. That was the royal invite. But every time he speaks to you, from then until now, I want you to have the sense that this has come from royalty. The same sense that this has authority and weight. I need to respond. Every time you hear something in God's word, you read something in the Bible, know that this is part of the royal invitation to you to come. The reason, as I said before, it's so important to discern and hear and recognize God's voice 
is because there's so many voices around and they will pull you in lots of different directions. But I want to say this, actually. I think sometimes we can become too reliant on hearing from other people what God is saying. We can look to books. We can come and hear people preach here on a Sunday. We can watch or listen to sermons. These are all great And I'm not dismissing them. But you have the opportunity to hear firsthand from the king. Don't rely on borrowed words. What God might have said to someone else through the word and then, for want of a better word, regurgitated to you. Come and hear the actual words of the Lord Jesus to you to come. Okay? Like the psalmist, let's each of us, I like the way the the message puts Psalm 1, thrill to God's words. Let each of us thrill to God's words, chew on scripture day and night. On this whole thing of individually hearing God's word, when we're discipling others, sometimes it's actually right that we step back. We can always want to have the right answer to share what people we think need to know our egos would like us to think that we're very knowledgeable and oh yes look at this scripture maybe sometimes what you need to do is hey god's spoken about this very clearly in his word why don't you go away and wait on the lord look at script what would scripture say to you what would jesus say to you in this situation at the coronation um of the Queen in 1953 at Westminster Abbey, she was presented with the Bible, along with this amazing declaration. I think we've got the next slide. Um, it says this, or maybe there wasn't a slide for this. Oh, here we go. Yeah. There we go, this slide here. So it says, at the Queen's coronation, they said this to Queen Elizabeth II, we present you with this book the most valuable thing that the world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. We all need to hear that. We all need to understand the preciousness, the valuable commodity, this amazing, these are the oracles, the, the spoken word of God to us. Will you pour over it? Will you chew over it? Will you thrill over God's word? I think they were right where they said that this is the most valuable thing that the world affords. So let us all continue to create a lifestyle of pouring over God's word, getting into his word, expecting God to speak to us through his word, speak to us each day, We have a word for the day, prompting us to respond, to obey in some way or another. Just one other comment about this word, come. I feel that sometimes the Western church, the big invite has not actually been to Jesus. It's come to church. Come to see us at church. Come into our program. Come into our wonderful building. Come and meet the people. And there's nothing wrong with this. But first and foremost, like the disciples, when Jesus said, come and follow me, 
It's important that we're following Jesus. It's important that we come to Jesus first and foremost. I think that we can see that when, like, through the lockdown, uh, through the pandemic, when buildings had to close down, meetings had to disappear. I wonder how many people were left thinking and feeling in want because they didn't and hadn't known how to come to Jesus personally. They were reliant on coming to the church for their weekly fix. We all need to come to the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not despising church. I love church. And I think actually when people get loving the head of the church, Jesus, in place, then it will only follow that they will love the body and want to be part of the body as well. So are we supremely fulfilled with the invitation from Jesus to come to him? I hope we are. Secondly, it says, follow me. Come, follow me. So the fishermen hear Jesus calling, come, follow me. Again, it's not about following a church or a denomination or a set of rules or doctrines. It's about following Jesus closely. It's about a living relationship with the person of Jesus. Secondly, following Jesus will always involve action and sacrifice. The guys had to lay down their nets, get out of the boat, leave their livelihood, leave their father and come to Jesus. Are you willing to make and take some actions and sacrifice to follow Jesus. Is that how you started? Maybe some of you may have to make some real sacrifice. I know some of you have, in order to follow Jesus. Are you willing to reprioritize your plans, to align with his kingdom priority? Are you willing to lay down your finances, your home, your career, your family, your diary. Daryl Johnson says this about discipleship. It's quite a painful one, so get ready. Discipleship that costs nothing is worth precisely that. Ouch. Thirdly, I believe our motivation to follow Jesus is crucial. What is motivating us to follow him? What compels us to follow Jesus? Because if it comes from a wrong motive, it will fizzle out and we will become disillusioned. And we're going to really struggle to lead others to follow Jesus if we're following him for the wrong uh, motive. It may be out of a wrong sense of duty that I should do this because I know it's right. This will just end up in a dry, lifeless religion. It may be that we're following out of fear. Again, this will just end up as a joyless and restrictive relationship. If you are following because you think there's some reward to be had, that there's something in it for me primarily, then we'll just become self-centered. We'll just start, stop seeing all the needs of people around us as we just think this is for me alone. But we need to be looking for those around us to disciple. The only motive, as we've been reminded by Anne this morning, is to love him more. To love him more. Love is what needs to motivate our walk of discipleship. It says here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
through love, we follow Jesus. Love joyfully follows. Yeah. Love joyfully submits. Love joyfully obeys. Love joyfully sacrifices. Finally, discipleship should never be static. This word, follow me. Discipleship cannot be contained in a building or a program. As followers, we just need to always be moving, journeying, ascending the mountains with Jesus, going into the harvest field where it's ripe, going into where the lost people are, and building relationship with them. As I said earlier, that there needs to be less emphasis on, as a church, as churches, to come and see. It needs to be more, go and be, go and be. We're never going to reach nations by saying, come and see what we do, come and join us. We need to go and be disciples and lovers of Christ in every area of society. And we're so fortunate as a church that we have a ripe harvest field right on our doorstep. We don't have to go far, to be honest. We can go to Little Lights. If you've got children, that'd be weird if you didn't. Um, you, we can, oh, it's our toddler group. We can come to this amazing coffee shop. The harvest is ripe. Yeah. We can go to lots of different things. The food bank. You can be part of the food bank team. The harvest is ripe. Go amongst the people and go and be a disciple and go and share what God is saying to you. The other thing here is immediate obedience that we can see from these fishermen. It says of the fishermen, they immediately followed him. What's my response when God speaks? When you hear God speak, when you say, I mean, we have this sort of thing, don't we? If we agree with someone, we all do a very holy, mm, amen. Does it end there? Is it just a contemplative agreement in our heads, in our minds? Or is it followed up by immediate action? I think if we just keep filling our minds with his teaching, with his words, with knowledge of him, we just start to puff ourselves up. It just keeps coming in and doesn't have an outlet. It says that the Pharisees, that they puff themselves up with knowledge, doesn't it? I had a picture this morning, it can become like a log jam. You keep receiving God's word, and, and then it just stops the flow. There needs to be an outworking of God's word in us. Otherwise, it stops the flow of his power, of his spirit, of his words moving through us to bless the nations. So if God says, if God says it, are you going to do it? Let's together create a lifestyle of immediate obedience. Listen again to the commission and command in Matthew 28. It says, And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is the full picture of our mission. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Actually, do you know that the the depth of your love towards God can be measured by the level of your obedience? In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. I know for myself, I can really suffer from analysis, paralysis. I can hear God speaking, and then you mull it over, 
and then you can think yourself out of it. Recently, I felt God say to me, and this can be on anything. It can be on whether you're speaking to someone, praying for healing for someone, maybe God prompting you to give a gift of money to someone, um, all sorts of things. Recently, I felt God say to me in a talk, I need to say sorry to someone. So um, I know myself. I had to immediately, I heard this, I had to text the person and say, can we meet up for a drink? I'd like a chat. Because I knew if I went to sleep by morning, I would have, I would have convinced myself that that was not from God, that God wasn't speaking. That was something else. I don't need to do that. And so I encourage immediate obedience. For me, it's actually the only way. And, and actually, I'm forgetful too. God can say something. Actually, I can forget it if I don't write it down. If I move on, life just carries you on. And you've missed a moment to release power into a relationship, into someone else through being obedient to what God says. So, finally, I will show you how. It says, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So he, Jesus, then, for the next couple of years, he demonstrated to the, the disciples how to make disciples, how to teach about the coming kingdom, how to give, how to pray, how to fast, how to heal the sick. It's all written down. These instructions aren't just for the disciples. These are here for you, too. So if you need to know how to make disciples, if you need to know how to become fishers of men, read the Gospels, read God's word. Teaching and training has to have a practical outworking. I love the fact that the disciples followed Jesus. They were with him. They didn't just go to a class. They didn't just go to a a seminary, a preach. They followed him. They were with him. Preaching has to have an outlet. Training, teaching has to have a practical outworking. Otherwise, it would just become hearers of the word and not doers of the word, as it says in James. With preaching and teaching, it can just be a one-off event. With training, when we're walking with Jesus, it's a continual process of trial and error as we keep going, keep going, and being obedient to him. It has training. If we're disciples, if we're pupils, it has to have a practical outworking to our everyday life. Otherwise, we're just students that are not doing what we're being told. Mahatma Gandhi said this, be the change that you wish to see in the world. We need to be the change. We can't just talk about the change. In a Christmas speech in the year of 2000, the late Queen Elizabeth II opened and boldly shared, sorry, openly and boldly shared the importance of learning from the example of Christ. This was for her. And she said in her her speech, she said this, For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. We can follow that example, can't we, from the late queen. She saw the teachings of Christ and she tried to use them as a framework of how she would lead her life. She showed us how to be a disciple and and a humble pupil of the Almighty King. So I promised 
this is closing now. So I, this discipleship multiplication phrase, I don't know about you, it still daunts me. It's still scary. I mean, I don't know if that's because I'm not great at maths and multiplication just is a bit off-putting. But when I consider that it's just me approaching one other person to share what I've heard the Lord say to me and how I've been obedient to it. If it's just me, just training one other person for one year, it seems more you know, achievable. And I'd love to encourage us all to have this same mentality. Let's coach and develop. Let's hear, obey, and share what Jesus is saying to us. Let's be something that's worth replicating, as Jesus obviously was. Are we something that someone would say, I want to replicate, I want to be, I want to be re- reproduced what you do, I want to reproduce what you do? So um, there's a few questions. Are you hearing the invitation from the king to come? Maybe for the first time you're hearing the invitation from the king, the royal invitation to come, to come and follow him. If that is you, please make yourself known. Come and talk to me afterwards. I would love you to lead you to the Lord Jesus. Do you need to confess that you've disqualified yourself from making disciples because of your lack of knowledge or experience? God uses ordinary people like you and me. Amen. Has God spoken through his word and through the prompting of this Holy Spirit? And you need to respond to something now. Have you held on to something? Is there a logjam where you've held on to something? You know God's spoken and you've held on to it. And the only way that power is going to be released is through your obedience. Finally, who might God be leading you to? To disciple and train in hearing and obeying and sharing the word of God. I'll leave you those questions. You can consider those this week. Um, Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord Jesus. We want to hear your voice each and every day. We thank you for the word of God that we can have in our hands. We thank you for the invitation that is tucked inside your word to come and follow you. May we quickly, obediently, sacrificially come and follow you and learn from you and in turn lead others to know you. Amen. Bless you all. We've crammed a lot in this morning. Thank you for your uh, attention. That is the end of the service.